0: Hey, everybody, Jose Palomino here with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. And our guest today is David Chrysler, who is a specialist, especially in the manufacturing world, on continuous improvement and quality. And we're going to talk to him about how to apply some key principles, especially in the small to mid market. So if you're an owner leader or you're part of a leadership team on a smaller manufacturer, so you're not a Caterpillar or John Deere, Uh, And I'm sure you could help them, too. But he's going to bring some particular insights that I think are very useful when you have to figure things out uh, with more limited resources, limited time, being scrunched by supply chain issues and labor shortages, all of that and more as David joins our show. Well, welcome, David, to Business Growth on Purpose.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So David, just for our audience, a little context, uh, what are you doing? Who do you do it for?
1: Yeah, thanks so much. So I uh, own an operations consulting business working with uh, leaders in the manufacturing space, uh, small to medium sized businesses, really all about creating systems within their business to help them uh, impact profitability and improve their culture.
0: Well, wow, Okay. So all things like operational excellence, right? So things like continuous improvement, quality things as well. Yeah.
1: Yep, absolutely. So kind of all encompassing and I uh, really put it behind kind of the systems perspective, because to me, when we talk about business systems, you know, I like to break that down a little bit further into the planning people process and technology. You're a lot of people talking about kind of the latter three, Um, And I really like to lead with planning because to me, that's where it all starts. The rest of them kind of follow.
0: Right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So like definitely uh, on the same page there, but you know, when I think about things like um, continuous improvement or lean initiatives and things like that, and having, you know, been in the space now working mostly with manufacturers for the better part of close to 20 years now. um, I also know they tend to view that as a, it's a thing, you know, it's like, it's a heavy thing. It's like, oh, we got to do that thing. We got to bring in the, the lean guy. And then it's a, it's a pro or ISO is another one like that. So, yeah. and here we are, you know, hopefully entering a truly pa- post pandemic world. I know we're not completely out of it, but we're mostly, we're making our way. And uh, people are worried about uh, having enough people to do the work, having enough raw material to do the, to do the work. Um, They may get busy, like they have a lot of orders because there was a big backlog for, you know, a year and a half. And so they might be listening and say, you know, that stuff is for later when when I got when I have to get past all this stuff. So my question to you, there's a question in that, uh, David, is continuous improvement, quality initiatives, things like that. Are they relevant now when people are struggling to find labor and materials to even do the work? Or should they really just be putting it like on the shelf for now until I get through this crisis?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, as you look at it, everybody's always busy, right? Pre-pandemic people were busy. It's easy to look at continuous improvement, quality initiatives, you know, kind of all of those encompassing things and say, I'll get to it when I've got time. But the reality is that today, more so than ever, I would argue that we need to be looking at these initiatives because they bring people together. you know you, you hear a lot about the great resignation and how many different opportunities people to have find, you know to find new uh, careers and moving from one business to the next. And a lot of that, from my standpoint centers around, you know, the people aspect, right? So when I talk planning people, right, people's the second one. And the only reason it's the second one and not the first one is because, you know, you have to have some planning activities before you can even get any people involved in in what you're talking about doing. So, you know, the continuous improvement initiative for me is really about your ability to attract and retain top talent. When you've got a tremendous culture, a culture of inclusion, a culture of empowerment, not only does your job get easier from a leadership standpoint, but the people feel so much better about what's happening internally that it takes that stressor of not having the raw material or dealing with other supply chain issues, maybe not having a fully, uh, you know, built-out team, and you're missing one or two key people from that. And it, you know, not to say completely band-aids that situation, but that that collective brain power, that working together, it does wonders when you are stressed out from other factors. So that would be my response to you. It's more important than ever to be looking at this stuff. And it's definitely not a time to put that on the, on the back burner.
0: Wow. So when we look at, and and hear terms like continuous improvement, right. Um, You know, somebody saying, look, I, I run like a $6 million contract manufacturing shop and we do a lot of welding, we do some small parts and so on. Um, Is it even, I mean, let's assuming I have the staff I need to do the work I need, um, you know, we do all right. Um, I'm not going to be a world beater, right? We're not going to be on the, you know, we're not going to make the Inc. 500, but we're doing all right and we're making money. Do I even need to put effort into, why do I need to get that much better? Is that really going to give me an ROI on the effort?
1: Yeah, it's a great question and and definitely one that you've got to consider, you know. I think that there's different ways to look at it. I've been a proponent of kind of continuous improvement and that mindset really, you know, from a young age. And from my standpoint, you've got different people that tackle it in a different in a different manner. What I mean by that is, you know, if in in your scenario that you laid out, if you wanted to bring in a really high level lean consultant, that's, you know, kind of McKinsey stature, I would say, yeah, you don't need that. (laughs) Right. But if you are looking to, you know, improve your culture, if you're looking to eke out those last couple of points of margin, if you're looking to set yourself up to be a leader in your space, This is the way to do that. This is the way to not only get people to buy into your vision of your business, but it's also to, you know, sustain and grow. Right. So it's kind of an internal question. You know, if somebody really is just, hey, I'm okay with where we're at and I'm not worried about, you know, being able to sustain this in the long term and, you know, for whatever reason, then, you know, yeah, maybe you don't need to necessarily bring somebody in, but there's still ways that you can impart that that kind of mindset, that flavor in what you're doing on a day-to-day basis.
0: Okay, and, and I guess, you know, in a, in a world of very tight supply chains, this is going to the second part, continues to than then quality, right? Um, and this seems like a self evident So anybody listening is saying, well, Jose, that's a loaded question. It's obvious what the answer is. But I do want to hear from your experience. Um, with tight supply chains, are people's expectation of quality Lower because they just got to get the stuff from wherever, or are they higher and even more demanding? It's a
1: great question. I mean, I I would argue that it depends on what the you know what the product is that we're talking about, right? And and what type of tolerances and end uses are are acceptable. Um, but I, I would say by and large, because you're not going to have the ability from a raw material standpoint to, to rework, to remake, right, that you have to nail it the first time. Like if you're already struggling to get raw material to produce something, what is the likelihood that you're going to get that amount of raw material to do a rework where typically, you know, there's some level of, of uh, tolerance in there. It's like, well, you know, but hey, we at least delivered, you know. or 92%, you know, whatever, whatever that may be. So I, you know, it's obviously going to be dependent on what we're talking about specifically. Um, But but yeah, I would say that that more times than not, it's going to be more critical in today's environment, uh, because there just aren't the options, there's not the ability, uh, whether we're talking labor or raw material to to kind of go back and do those rework, uh, you know, things that maybe we once could.
0: Well, that's interesting, right? So that's got a little counterintuitive. You know, you think about it and you say, okay, well, uh, it actually is even more important that you get it right because you don't get as many uh, at-bats, right? It's, a, that's, it's as, as simple as that. And if you mess yeah. up the order, that could really hurt you downstream. So I, I know you, you look at things as a system and you don't just look at the production floor. Um, so what, are, and, and that's something that we've been, you know, talking about writing about for a long time as well. We see that importance to really look at a business as a system. So what are some of the kind of critical path obstacles for people to really say, I'm going to take a step back that planning, you emphasize that as just step one P right. Planning. Yeah. What, what is it that keeps people from, because it seems almost obvious, like, well, of course you got to start there and think about your business system. I mean, it seems obvious, right? But it isn't. And so what are the obstacles that keep people from planning first, from thinking of their overall business as a system? What is it that keeps them from doing that?
1: I mean, my opinion and, and what I've seen time and time again, it's the firefighting mentality, right? Kind of how we started the conversation where, hey, I don't really have time to do any of this stuff you know and i used to make the the kind of joke and argument it's like well we have time to do it twice right but we don't have time to do it right the first time like how how is that possible you know how do we make excuses to say ah we could just you know we'll get back to that we'll redo it you know where as if we just did some things with intentionality And we utilize that as our base. So I talk a lot about, you know, plan, do, review, revise, repeat, right? And you hear people talk about plan, do, check, act and all these other things. And and there's similar thought processes, but, you know, the reason I like the plan, do, and then the last three, review, revise, repeat, right? Because that to me is telling people and letting them know that, you know, when I talk about planning, when I talk about people, process, technology, when I talk about each one of those things... I'm not talking about spending six months creating the perfect plan. I'm saying, let's just give this thing a little consideration. Let's bring in some people. Let's talk about this. Let's put our line in the sand. That's our plan. Then we do, right? Let's go execute what whatever it is that we've kind of outlined. And then the last three, review, revise, repeat, right? Come back. It's a constant cycle. So I think people avoid it thinking that we're talking about creating some monster, strategic, perfect plan. And that's just not reality. There's too many variables within what we do on any given day, but you do have to start with intentionality instead of just starting with the firefighting mentality and you know kind of all right i got this problem i'm going to deal with this real quick and then i'm going to get back to that you know it's really difficult to move the needle and to grow your business in a sustainable fashion when you are just constantly moving from fire to fire to fire to fire
0: no no doubt no doubt and and i love the uh, review revise repeat because what you're really saying and i and i sense david when you work with somebody you're really saying this has got to become something that you make part of your culture it's not an event right so sometimes people look at strategic planning as we're going to have a strategic planning weekend and because we haven't had one in four years <laughs> and 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 we probably won't have one another one for another four years and you know within a month you forgot whatever you talked about and and yeah. the documents you came out of it aren't being reviewed or, re- or or referred to and then you say that stuff doesn't work so strategic planning is a waste of time we just got to do what we we just got to do what we do you know, that kind of mentality. So I love that you're bringing home the fact that, you know what, it's got to be something you do as kind of a core capability. So in, in light of that, uh, as you know, oftentimes management teams are not necessarily assembled like an NFL draft. It's people who've been there, people that grew up in the business. They kind of know a lot about a lot, but maybe aren't great particular managers. How do you start working this kind of process with people that maybe aren't, you know, your observation? Say, okay, this isn't necessarily the A team, but it's what I got to work with. And the owner may be thinking, the reason I don't do this is because I don't have people who really think things strategically and so on. They're just not wired that way. Is it just let's change over the entire leadership team or are there some interim steps to make it work anyway?
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to start with kind of where you're at, what you have, right? And that's not to say that that team ultimately isn't the right team, but in my opinion, you have to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. It's like, you know, how can you hold somebody accountable when you never gave them the tools to be successful to to begin with? So, you know, from that ownership perspective, right? They need to recognize what are some of the tools that we need to provide people that are in that leadership position, that kind of next layer down, if you will, or if it's somebody that's, you know, that owner operator model that's in in the kind of mix themselves. To me, it's all about a couple of things. Number one, if you kind of recognize that there's some missteps that you've had as a leader and maybe, you know, maybe you haven't handled some situations right, to me, accountability is huge. So Mm. if you have an all hands meeting and say, Guys, look, I've made some mistakes with what we've done here, whether that's from a strategic, you know, planning initiative, whether that's hey, we've done some continuous improvement and it's kind of fallen by the wayside, whatever it happens to be. But if you own that and kind of utilize that as the catapult to say, I want you guys to hold me accountable. I'm I'm gonna make some missteps, I'm gonna make some mistakes, but I really here's what I'm really trying to do. Here's why I really want to do this, here's why I want you guys all on the ride with me. I mean, that is tremendous, right? Like talk about buy-in when you have some, when you have had some missteps beyond that, you know, you've got to provide people with tools and you can do that with training seminars. You can do that, you know, especially in today's day and age, kind of uh, with the, you know, virtual learning, um, you know, uh, books, you know, there's all kinds of tools out there that you can, um, you know, learn how to become a bit of a better leader. Um, so, you know, what kind of all of that said, right, once you give people those opportunities, kind of give them the bounds, give them the goal, as I used to say, and, and you know, give, give them the why and uh, the what, but let them figure out the how and support that. Uh, chances are, those people that have a lot of experience in the job and have kind of grown up to become a leader within that uh, organization, they're going to they're gonna achieve. They're going to be successful, right? And some people, yes, they ultimately don't want it. They kind of wanted to achieve the position, but they're not the right person for it. You also have to recognize when that is the case and make a change with it, right? So, um, you know, I've seen kind of both ways, uh, go down, um, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, in my opinion, you got to start with where you're at with, you know, um, uh, who you've got and, and see kind of how that lines out. And, and I would say a fair time is three to six months. You have some heart to heart meetings. You kind of, again, you, you talk about the why and the what, and you leave the how to the people, right? Let the, kind of utilize that collective brain power I talk about uh, with your leadership team, with the people that are closest to the process, let them figure out, you know, the how, because they're probably going to blow you out of the water with the how.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, that's interesting because people, uh, I interviewed somebody recently and he says, you know, the people who know who are the hundred percent best experts on a particular job are the people who are doing that job. Uh, and it doesn't mean they can't benefit from an outside perspective, but they just really know what, you know, they're doing it every day. So you, you, you're not going to get that perspective from the ivory tower. And I love, uh, when you re- refer to, you can't hold people accountable to something you've never equipped them to do well. Uh, it's just not, you know, it's, it, besides not being fair, it's not effective. And it, and it creates a toxic, uh, kind of, uh, culture where you're demanding certain things from people and you've never helped them do it. And it just, all that does, it creates frustration every which way. And and I I just think that's a really great observation there. So just as we come closer to the end of our time here, and David, again, thanks for stopping by and and sharing uh, some really good insights that I think could be very helpful to anybody listening. But there's one area that I think is, it can be a little controversial. I'm not trying to be controversial, but I I have worked with some smaller manufacturers that had, um, that basically were unionized. Right. So I understand. And again, I'm not there's not union bashing. I'm it played its its role in, in American labor and maybe it's a great good in some parts of the world. But when I see a small shop with 30, 40 employees that are union trying to do things like continuous improvement, lean, all those things kind of are tough to pull off because you're double negotiating. It's one thing to figure out what the right path to do, but then you have to get people on board. Any words of wisdom there was I can't imagine there are some listeners that saying, yeah, that's me. That's what I'm dealing with.
1: <laughs> yeah. At that, and it's a great perspective. Um, you know, one of one of my early leadership roles was actually in a union environment uh, where we did a lot of this work. And And to me, as I kind of, you know, as I was thinking about that while you were asking the question, when I reflect back, the success, I think, really came from building the relationship with, you know, kind of the shop steward, right? And then the, the union group and helping them to recognize. And, and it's really all encompassing, kind of interesting. Um, and I know we're winding on time, so I don't, I don't want to get too deep into it. But, you know, when you talk about going through and doing contract negotiations in that environment and they, so they get a peek at the financials, they get a peek at the performance, and you tie that back to the things that you're trying to do from, from that kind of continuous improvement mindset and getting the shop steward in. And then obviously you've got you know, a smaller team of negotiating folks from the uh, from the shop floor. I think when you kind of utilize all of that to your advantage and you foster that relationship and really try to lay out, again, the what, the why, leave the how... I think when you do that, you could be successful in a, in a union environment. I mean, I, you know again, I can speak from my experience personally. Uh, we were successful in a, uh, a pretty uh, significantly sized union uh, shop. So it's, it's definitely doable. Foster those relationships. Make sure you share the why, the what over and over and over again, because those two things can move the needle for people.
0: Why we're doing, what we're trying to accomplish. and then also going back to your original advice, showing them or, or sharing with them trust that they can help you figure out the how.
1: Yeah, yeah, you have to you have to engage. The people that are closest to the process, and just one last point on that, I'm I'm a huge proponent of engaging people before and directly before, directly following that, that process as well because they're really good at asking those why questions because it's like their genuine curiosity. And again, as long as you present it in the manner of saying we are really trying to bring this together, here's why, here's what, <laughs> you know, um, I, I've I've seen it move mountains. It's amazing. So it's a lot of fun to see.
0: Wow. That's exciting. Well, David Chrysler, thank you for stopping by Business Growth on Purpose. If if somebody wanted to know more about you, your work, how to contact you, where should they go?
1: Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn uh, just by searching my name, David Chrysler, or you can find me on uh, our website, which is just thechryslerclub.com. So, Jose, thanks so much for inviting me on today. It was a great show and uh, really, really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Well, likewise. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thanks Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth On Purpose.